This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. While Steven Spielberg was filming Jaws, he met with composer John Williams to discuss the score. Williams offered to play for him the theme he had come up with, and Spielberg couldn't wait to hear it. The director had expected to hear something melodic and otherworldly, the kind of song meant to symbolize the majestic terror of a great white shark. Instead, Spielberg heard only two notes played on the piano, two notes that started out slow before increasing in tempo. And you can probably hear those notes now in your mind. You can picture a dorsal fin breaking the surface of the water as it glides toward its next victim. And if you're listening to this near a large body of water, your heart rate probably just spiked. John Williams described it as that combination of sound and image forming a memory. Music has that effect on us. We can remember where we were when we first heard a life-changing song or how we felt during the first dance at our wedding. Even hearing the theme song to a beloved childhood cartoon can instill a sense of longing and nostalgia in us taking us right back to our living rooms as we scarf down a bowl of sugary cereal in front of the TV on a Saturday morning. But Monty didn't know that his music would have the same effect decades later, especially given its unorthodox origins. He was born in London in April of 1928 to Jewish immigrant parents. His father had been born in Latvia and moved to England to work as a cabinet maker while his mother was a seamstress. As he got older, Monty took an interest in music, encouraged by his mother who presented him with his first guitar when he was just 16. When he got older, Monty enlisted in the Royal Air Force where he deepened his musical interests and explored singing as a career. He worked for a time as a big band singer in the 1950s and 60s for band leaders such as Cyril Stapleton and Nat Temple before showcasing his talents in variety shows. He even appeared alongside entertainment legends like Benny Hill and Peter Sellers. And while he was making a name for himself on stage, Monty also worked behind the scenes as a composer and lyricist. He was particularly skilled at adapting novels into stage musicals. In 1959, he turned the 1952 book Make Me an Offer by Wolf Mankiewicz into a song and dance production. And in the early 60s, he adapted the novel A House for Mr. Biswas by V.S. Naipaul. It told the story of a man named Mohan Biswas from Trinidad and Tobago, who was born with an extra finger. The young boy was prophesied to be a liar and a spendthrift, as well as a danger to his parents. His father accidentally died trying to save him from drowning. Biswas was moved around from family member to family member until he grew up and got married, following the expectations of others. However, it was his dream to build himself a house and a life of his own in which he could lay down roots and be happy. Monty finished the show, but it never saw the light of day. It was shelved indefinitely. 
Sometime later, though, he was contacted by a pair of movie producers looking to work with him. They didn't want to film a house for Mr. Biswas, mind you. They were launching a brand new film franchise and wanted Monty to write the score for the first installment. He refused at first, but one of the producers offered him and his family a free trip to Jamaica where the movie was being shot. He relented, happy to get a vacation out of the deal. One of the key pieces of music needed for the film was a theme song. It would be the linchpin that held together everything, influencing the numerous motifs and variations that would be heard throughout the picture. Unfortunately, Monty couldn't come up with anything. After several false starts, he delved into his archives, rediscovering one of his favorite compositions. It was a playful song from his unproduced musical, A House for Mr. Biswas, that he titled Good Sign, Bad Sign. Its opening lyric, I was born with this unlucky sneeze, was intended to be sung over the plucks of a sitar, but the lyrics wouldn't do. Instead, he took the opening melody and rearranged it as an instrumental with less whimsical, more mysterious sounds to it. It was a vast improvement and should have worked well as a theme song. Sadly, even though the producers saw its potential, they hated the arrangement. They gave it to another composer named John Barry, who reworked it to include strings, brassy trumpets, and a driving electric guitar riff that tied it all together. The producers, Harry Saltzman and Albert Covey Broccoli, loved the new version. It was the perfect blend of sexy and enigmatic, the ideal theme to embody their hot new hero, a British spy ripped from the pages of a popular novel. Monty Nosorovich, otherwise known as Monty Norman, had taken his unused musical number and spun it into one of the most recognized movie theme songs in the world. It's usually heard over the image of a black and white gun barrel as it pans across the screen before a single gunshot causes a shock of red to cover the scene like a curtain. As John Williams said it, that combination of sound and image forming a memory. And you can hear it in your mind, can't you? The theme song written for a legendary fictional character. A man named Bond. James Bond. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Excitement used to flood a town when a traveling circus came to visit. People would gather from all over to watch lion tamers and clowns and enormous elephants all put on a show under a big tent. Whenever the circus arrived, everyone knew they were in for a good time. Traveling acts were quite popular during the 19th and early 20th centuries, especially the unorthodox kinds. Spectators flocked to see all manner of exhibitions, such as sideshows, hoping to catch a glimpse of something strange or even shocking. But for those who wanted to witness the face of true horror, they saved their money to see Painless Parker. Painless Parker was born Edgar R.R. Parker in Brunswick, Canada in 1872. As a child, he found opportunities to practice one of his natural talents, salesmanship. He developed this skill through his life and got his start by convincing a neighbor to accept some fresh fish from him in exchange for their hen and some eggs. But Parker would go on to enroll at the New York College of Dentistry when he was 17. Today, it's part of NYU as the New York University College of Dentistry. Unlike today, where dentistry is its own discipline with its own education and licensing standards, dentistry in the late 1800s was much less regulated. Often, dentists were either general physicians who did it on the side, or apprentices who struck out on their own when they felt that they were good enough. So Parker, in need of money to put himself through school, started traveling door-to-door throughout New York City, offering teeth cleanings for only a dollar or two. Eventually, the dean heard about Parker's little side hustle and kicked him out for violating the school's policies. So the intrepid would-be dentist went back to his hometown and did the same thing up there, earning money to put himself through another dental school, this one in Pennsylvania. He attended Philadelphia Dental College years before it was absorbed into Temple University and earned his degree uh, barely. Diploma in hand, Parker struck out on his own and opened his own practice. If only he could attract some new patients. Six weeks went by, and only a few patients had walked through his door, so Parker decided to think outside the box. He closed down his office and put it on wheels, kickstarting a traveling operation in 1892. He mounted his dental chair onto a horse-drawn wagon, hired a cornet player, and traveled from city to city performing feats of dental deafness for the public. And did it work? Surprisingly, yes. But it wasn't only because he made the science of dentistry a spectacle, nor was it the cornet player who blared from the back of the wagon to coax people into the chair. No, it was because Parker had advertised his services as painless. People didn't go to the dentist regularly back then because they thought it would hurt too much. But painless Parker, as he called himself, 
wanted to change that. Of course, his methods would be frowned upon today, but back then, they certainly did the trick. Parker liked to use a special solution he called hydrocaine to numb the person's mouth before the procedure, and its secret ingredient is hidden right there in the name, cocaine. His shows often followed the same routine, too. Parker would roll into town and lure a big crowd around him. He would lecture them on proper oral hygiene and then make them an offer. He would remove any of their offending teeth for 50 cents apiece, painlessly. If they felt any discomfort, he would give them a $5 refund. The patients then lined up to sit in his chair, at which time he would apply his special hydrocaine solution and go to town on their rotting teeth. The live band played as Parker and his pliers got to work. The music wasn't just to announce his arrival in town either. It distracted the person sitting in the chair and covered the sounds of their screams. He once made a necklace out of 357 teeth that he had pulled after one day's work. It's currently on display at Temple University's Kornberg School of Dentistry and is exactly as terrifying and creepy as you think it is. After a while, though, Parker ran into problems. For one, advertising dental services at that time was frowned upon, and several times he found himself on the receiving end of a lawsuit. He also became persona non grata back in New Brunswick and was run out of town. Parker eventually moved to New York with his family to try and build back his business. Low on money and rich in desperation, he reached out to someone who knew a thing or two about advertising. William Beebe, an ex-employee of P.T. Barnum. With Beebe's guidance, Parker added a six-piece band and a circus tumbler to his show. He also advertised a lot more, putting up signs on the sides of buildings with catchy taglines like, Pains and Pangs Positively Prevented. And it seems to have worked. Painless Parker became quite successful in his dental career. By the time he hung up his pliers, he had launched his own product line and owned a chain of 28 offices with more than 70 dentists in his employ. His income topped $3 million per year. But that hadn't been his ultimate goal. Sure, the money was welcome, but Painless Parker was more interested in preaching proper oral hygiene techniques. He wanted people to take care of their teeth, especially in rural and poorer areas where such a thing wasn't often practiced. Was he unconventional in his methods? For sure. But you try getting someone to go to the dentist when they don't want to. It's almost like pulling teeth. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.